This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to this episode of Gen Z Money. We are talking to Amy, who's an accountant, about all things tax. So if you're going to be lodging your tax return in the next few days or in the next few months, we want to make sure that we're covering a bunch of commonly asked questions. So hopefully this is a useful episode. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. Thanks, Azari, for having me. So for this is actually your first time on Gen Z Money podcast, so welcome. Thank you. For our listeners who don't know about you and what you do, could you give us a little bit of an intro? Yes, certainly. So I'm a chartered accountant. I'm based on the Gold Coast. I've been in my current role for four and a half years now, I'm working in tax, clients in different industries, and also a variety of different entities as well. Awesome. Well, yeah, I thought you'd be the perfect person to chat to this week because end of financial year is coming up and I'm sure people have a ton of questions about tax that they want answered. So there's really no uh, rhyme or reason to these questions. We're just going to just go through a variety of different questions and, and get your answers on those. So let's just jump right into it. So firstly, am I right in saying that not everyone needs to lodge a tax return? Yes, that is correct. So there's two main reasons um, for you to lodge a tax return. So if you've had any tax withheld on any payments, so this can be your wages or it could be investment income such as interest or um, shares or anything. And Mm -hmm. also if you're an Australian resident and your taxable income is more than the tax-free threshold, which is 18,200. So there's a few other reasons as well. Um, So if you're a foreign resident that earned more than a dollar in Australia, you're leaving Australia forever or for more than one income year, you want to claim any tax deductions, you're a foreign resident with a study or training support loan, or you're a liable or recipient parent under a child support arrangement, um, and your income was more than 26319 So if for some reason you don't meet any of those requirements and you don't have to lodge a tax return, you still need to let the ATO know. So you'll have to do a non-lodgement advice, which can be done through MyGov, or if you have an accountant, you can get them to do it for you. Perfect. So if I do fit those requirements and I do need to lodge a tax return, how long do I actually have to do that? So if you're lodging yourself through MyGov, you have until the 31st of October. However, if you're lodging in a tax agent, you've got a few different lodgement due dates. So if your prior tax return was late for any reason, you'll be required to lodge on the 31st of October as well. If your um, tax liability from the previous year is more than $20,000, you'll have to lodge by the 31st of March. And then if you don't fall into any of those, you'll fall under the general rule, which is the 15th of May. And obviously, if that falls on a weekend, it's just the next business day. Good to know. Now, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast um, have received JobKeeper this year, obviously with COVID and everything that's been going on. So for those who have received JobKeeper or any other Centrelink allowances, are there any specific things that they should be considering or thinking about when they are um, looking to lodge their tax return this year? Yes. So JobKeeper payments will form part of your assessable income, so you'll get taxed on it. So if you receive the JobKeeper from your employer, it's going to automatically be reported to the ATO through the STP finalisation. So we no longer have group certificates and payment summaries. It now just automatically will go to the ATO. Um, And then your employer will have withheld tax on it, just like your normal salary. But if you're a sole trader and you're claiming JobKeeper, chances are there's going to be no tax withheld on that one. So you may have a little payable this year, just depending on whether or not you've paid enough tax. So all other um, 
Sentencing payments, they all vary the tax treatment of them. Majority of them are taxable. The main common ones would be like your new start allowance, youth allowance, off study and the education entry payment. But if you're unsure about um, your particular payment, you can find a full list on Centrelink. Perfect. Awesome. That's good to know. And then another question I'm sure a lot of people will have as well is in the last year, lots of people have got started with investing. They maybe bought their first share or started investing in, let's say, a micro investing platform. What are some of the tax considerations that people should be thinking about in relation to investing? That's a good question. So we've got two different ways that shares or ETFs or managed funds can affect your tax. So either receiving dividends or distributions or selling them. So we'll start off with the dividends and distributions. So they are considered to be taxable. So if you own direct shares, you'll get a dividend statement showing the amount of the dividend and amount of franking credits. So that will all go in your tax return. And then if you own units in a managed fund or ETFs like these micro-investing platforms, you'll get distributions throughout the year. However, the amount that you actually receive might not be what needs to go on your tax return. So a few months after the end of the financial year, you'll receive a tax statement and it will basically outline all the different components of distributions and then that will tell you what you need to put in the tax return. So the next uh, way we have for shares is if you sell them and make a capital gain. So basically simply is where you sell the shares for more than what you purchase them for. Your capital gain is then added to your taxable income and you'll pay tax on them at your marginal rate, plus obviously Medicare levy, HEX repayments, Medicare levy surcharge, etc. So just as a little example for this, if you purchase your shares for $1,000 and then you sold them for $1,500, you've made a capital gain of $500. So let's just say your taxable income is $100,000, means you're in the 34.5 cent tax bracket, which includes your Medicare levy, and let's just say you have no HEX debt. You would pay tax of $172.50 on that profit. However, if you held those shares for more than 12 months, you're entitled to what's called a CGT discount of 50%. This will reduce your capital gain from $500 down to $250, which then means you'd only have to pay $82.25 in tax. So if you happen to sell the shares for less than what you purchase them for, you'll have what's called a capital loss. Now, these losses cannot be offset against any other income, such as your salary or your interest or investment of anything. Instead, your losses will need to be carried forward to your future years until you make a capital gain to offset them. So it's also important to note if you do have the instance where you have a discount eligible capital gain and prior losses, you must allocate the losses to the gain first before using your discount. And then also just another thing that's kind of a hot topic right now is cryptocurrency. So oh, a lot yeah, of the, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of the time, cryptocurrency, it's going to be treated the same as shares. So if you're buying and selling it as an investment, you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on it. This is also even the case if you're transferring from one cryptocurrency to another. So you can also claim the 50% discount as per your other investments if you held it for more than 12 months. And there are also some exemptions to note if you acquire the crypto to purchase personal use assets. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So there's a lot there. And you did mention as well that if you've um, maybe bought shares or you've bought um, investments through a micro investing platform or something like that, you can expect to receive a statement. So does that mean that you're probably not going to be ready to lodge your tax on the 1st of July? You've probably got a bit longer to wait to get that information for your tax return? Yes, that's correct. Because generally these companies will take a month or two just to get everything sorted. So yeah, just hold off on lodging your tax return 
till you have everything just yeah make sure you get it all done at one time rather than have to go back and fix it later yeah perfect and you also talked about um the fact that dividends from your or distributions from your investments are classed as income um it's probably also worth mentioning that if they if those dividends haven't necessarily gone into your bank account let's say you bank with commonwealth just because that hasn't gone into your bank account doesn't mean you haven't received them is that right Yes, that's true. So generally you could be under a dividend reinvestment plan, which is where instead of receiving the dividend each quarter or every half year, you'll just convert and buy that into more shares. So yeah, just important to note that that also is classified as income. Yeah, perfect. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. And then another one that I'm actually personally interested in knowing, obviously with COVID, everyone, uh, many people have worked from home. What are some of the things that we could potentially claim if we've been working uh, from home during COVID? So there's three different methods that the ATO have brought out to calculate your home office deductions. So just as a suggestion, I'd recommend calculating your deductions using all three methods and then obviously working out which one's going to get you the best deduction. So we'll start off simple. We've got the first method is the shortcut method. So this one was introduced in 2020 because of COVID. And under this method, you can claim 80 cents per hour for each hour you spent working at home. So this one is a catch-all method, which means it's going to cover all of your expenses. So your phone, your internet, your decline in value of equipment and furniture, electricity and gas. So if you use this method, that's all you can claim in regards to home office expenses. So then you've got the next method, which is the fixed rate method. So under this one, you can claim 52 cents per hour you spent working from home. And this is to cover your depreciation on furniture, repairs to your equipment and furniture, electricity and gas. And then in addition to this, you can also separately claim for your phone, internet, consumables, stationery, and also the depreciation of equipment, so phones or laptops. So also important to keep in mind that this is only to be claimed at your work-related percentage. So as an example, I pay $50 a month for my phone and I only use it 75% of the time for work, then my whole deduction for the year is $450. So then we've got the last method, which is called the actual cost method. So under this one, there's no set rate and instead you'll just claim your deductions based off the cost that you actually incur. So it includes everything as the previous method. So you've got your phone, your internet, your stationery, consumables, depreciation, electricity and gas. And also, once again, you'll have to apportion this based on your work-related use. Perfect. And if I went out and bought a desk or a desk chair, that's all tax deductible as well? Yep. So that would fall under one of the items that you'd have to depreciate, providing it's over $300. Okay. And maybe a bit of a cheeky question. If someone has bought a new phone in the last financial year and they do use it, let's say 50% for work, can they actually claim the cost of purchasing the phone? Yep. So that will fall also under the depreciation rules. So the ATO website has a list of um, what they see is the useful life of all the assets. So basically you'll put in the date you purchased, how much you purchased it for, and then it will spit out the number for depreciation. Perfect. That's super handy. Another one that I see a lot of people saying that they're claiming, which I know can be a bit confusing, is clothes that they wear to work. Now, let's say, for example, you work in retail. Let's say you work at Cotton On and you buy Cotton On clothes to wear to work. Can you claim those as a tax deductible expense? No, not clothes like that. They're actually considered to be con- conventional clothing, which means that you can't get a tax deduction for it. However, there are a few reasons why you can get a tax deduction for certain clothes. So 
So this is if they're considered to be occupation-specific, protective, they're compulsory or they're non-compulsory, but your employer has registered with the Oz industry. So some examples of these, you're a nurse, you have to wear scrubs, safety vests or checkered chef pants, steel-toed boots or gloves, safety glasses or even uniforms if they have the company logo on it. Perfect. So would it be a good rule of thumb to say, if I could wear these clothes out to brunch, they probably can't also be claimed as a tax deductible expense? Yes, that's pretty well much it. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Now I have another um, hypothetical. Let's say, for example, I'm at university. I'm I'm studying business or let's say uh, finance and I've got a job, I've got a part-time or full-time job working in finance. Would the hex that I'm accruing through doing that degree that is related to my work be a tax deduction? So hex repayments themselves are not tax deductible. However, if you're paying your actual tuition fees upfront, you may be eligible to claim under the self-education expenses. So like you said before, the study, yes, it has to be related to your current employment and the ATO actually has a list of some conditions that need to apply. So you must be upgrading your qualifications. So example, you're going from a bachelor's degree to a master's degree. You're improving specific skills or knowledge that you use in your current employment. The course is part of your traineeship or the course is likely to lead to an increase in your income. Awesome. And then another one um, that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about is car-related expenses. Under what circumstances can I claim expenses for my car? That's a good one. So travelling between your home and the office or a place of business is actually considered to be private in nature, so that's not tax deductible. However, eligible business travel includes travelling from home to a client going between workplaces or travelling out of the office to purchase supplies or you're travelling out of the office to go to a client. So in terms of calculating a tax deduction for this, the ATO has two different methods. So we've got the cents per kilometre method, which is where you can claim 72 cents per kilometre of work-related travel up to a maximum of 5,000 kilometres per car per year. So important to note that this used to be 68 cents per kilometre but has increased for the 2021 financial year. Mm -hmm. So this method doesn't require written evidence. However, it is handy just to keep a few notes for how you've calculated it, just in case the ATO audits you. So then we've got another method, which is called the logbook method. So to claim under this one, you need to keep a logbook for 12 weeks. And in it, you need to record all of your journeys that you take in the car. So you need to include the reason why, the date, the odometer readings at both the start and the end, and then work out the total kilometres travelled. So at the end of your 12-week period, you're going to add up everything and you're going to work out your percentage of work-related travel. So this logbook you can use in your tax returns for up to five years, but if your business changes or your job changes and you've got a bit of a difference in your percentages, you should update it. So then you'll get all your car expenses. So you've got your fuel, rego, insurance, repairs, interest if your car is financed and also depreciation. So the ATO considers the useful life of a vehicle to be eight years. So you'll calculate your depreciation based on that. And then there also could be differences depending on what depreciation method you're using. So you've got prime cost or diminishing value. So once you've worked out all your total expenses, you basically just apportion them based off your logbook percentage and then you'll claim that in your tax return. That makes sense. So 
if I drive an hour to and from work every day, that's that's not something that I can be claiming on my tax, unfortunately. No, it's not, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> so there's a lot to consider. So if you're doing your own tax return, obviously there's all these things that we've talked about that you have to consider. Or even if you're going through an accountant and maybe you forgot something, you forgot a source of income or a, um, a deduction, a big deduction that you wanted to claim, should I freak out at that point? No, you shouldn't. You can always amend your assessment. So you have a time limit of two years from the date that your notice of assessment was issued. You can just go back on to either MyGov or you can go to your accountant and just lodge an amendment. So after you do that, they'll send you an amended notice of assessment. If for some reason you have to pay a little extra, they'll give you the payment details or you may get an extra refund. Um, If you are past these two years though, don't stress, it's okay. You can lodge an objection with the ATO and then they'll go through the steps of approving you and then you can lodge the amendment. Okay, great. So nothing to be too scared of then. However, if someone is unsure when they're doing their own tax return, it probably is wise to see an accountant. Yes, it is. Another thing that I see, and this will probably be my final question, um, but it's something that I see a lot of is People will do the tax return or they'll go to accountant um, and they'll complain that they had to pay tax or that they didn't get any money back and they think they've either got a crap accountant or that they've done something wrong. Should you expect to always get money back when you lodge your tax return? No, you shouldn't. So this doesn't mean that you've done something wrong if for some reason you don't get a refund or you owe money. So there's many reasons for this. So you may have had a second job and you were accidentally claiming the tax-free threshold for both jobs rather than just your main one. So obviously this would mean that your rate of tax withheld isn't high enough to cover your tax. So another thing is that your employer may not be withholding enough tax. So you might have had like a bonus or anything like that that have actually put you over a tax bracket or into another hex repayment bracket. So you may have also not informed your employer about your hex debt, so they're not withholding enough tax to cover your compulsory repayments. That's a big one, I find. Mm-hmm. Also, you may have actually earned under the tax-free threshold and didn't pay any tax. So obviously, you're not entitled to get any tax back. Um, you may be a sole trader running a business, or you might have a rental property, which is positively geared, or you may have large investment incomes. They generally won't have tax withheld on it, so that might cause a tax payable. And you also may just be in an industry where you can't claim many tax deductions. So this isn't really a bad thing because at the end of the day, if you spend $1,000 on work-related expenses, it's only going to give you a tax refund based off your marginal rate. So you're still going to be out of pocket. If I do have two jobs and I'm not sure if I'm claiming the tax-free threshold on both, or maybe I'm not sure if my employer knows about my HEX, what can I do? So I'd suggest, yeah, contacting your employer or your payroll officer and just asking them. They should have all the forms from when you started as an employee there with all the details. Also, like for HEX, you can have a look on your payslip and it should have a separate itemised line under tax saying HEX repayment or something along the lines of that. But yeah, just ask your employer if you're curious. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Well, Amy, I think that was everything I had on the list today. This has been really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.